Welcome to A Better Way Podcast with your host, Ryan Haley. Learn to excel in business God's way, where the supernatural meets the practical. Experience a better way to succeed and learn from real-life business owners and entrepreneurs who have prospered in unconventional ways. Be inspired by their true stories and realize that prayer can become your practical source of provision when you embrace walking by faith and not human sight. And now, here's your host, Ryan Haley. Well, we have an incredible honor and treat this week because we have NFL Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy on the show. And Tony, thank you so much for joining us. It is a blessing and an honor to have you. Oh, thank you, Ryan. It is great to be with you. So, Coach, obviously most people know who you are and, and most of your worldly success, but let's just start at the beginning because I believe having talked to you and spent some time with you and listening to your story that your success is really rooted in your relationship with God. So I kind of want to start at the foundation and talk to us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord. You know, I, I grew up, I was really fortunate, Ryan. I grew up in a home where my mom was the Sunday school teacher. My grandfather was a minister. I had two uncles who were ministers. My mom used to practice her Sunday lessons on us. So I heard all the Bible stories when I was very young, kind of understood, got the message of who Jesus was. And uh, one day, I can't even remember when, I was very young and I raised my hand. I want to accept Christ. And so I knew I invited Christ into my life. But like so many boys, uh, I got to middle school, high school. I was really focused on sports and playing well and uh, going to school. And uh, I became a student and an athlete. And I think my Christian growth just took a back seat. And it, it stayed that way really until I was 21 years old through junior high, high school and college. I didn't do crazy things, but people wouldn't have said, oh, there's a, there's a strong Christian. It was said, well, maybe there's a nice guy. Uh, but I got to the Pittsburgh Steelers as a rookie player. And one of the first guys who embraced me was a guy named Donnie Shell. He ended up becoming my roommate. And he said, hey, you got to come to chapel. You got to come to Bible study. This is what we got going on. What are you reading in the Bible? And I was like, I'm not reading anything. <laughs> and he said, well, you've got to get going on that part of it. And then Coach Noel, our coach, uh, in the first meeting we had, he, he said, you know, welcome to the National Football League. You're getting paid to play football. So that makes it your profession. You got to put everything into it, work hard at it. But don't make football your life. If you make football your entire life, you're going to be disappointed because it's not a life. It's a, it's a profession. And boy, those two things hit me. And I started to grow as a Christian and really know what it meant to serve the Lord as a 21 year old. So you were 21 years old playing professional football for the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point. That's correct. And if I recall correctly, you guys won a couple championships at that point. <laughs> we did. Uh, it was a great time to be a Steeler. When I got there, they had won two Super Bowls already. My second year with the team, we won uh, Super Bowl Thirteen, which was their third. And it was just an awesome time. And I was playing with the best in the world. We had a great following, a great fan base there in Pittsburgh. Uh, I was living my dream of playing in the National Football League. But even more than that, for the first time, I was around some Christian athletes who really showed me what it means to serve God first above your career, above all the notoriety, above all that. And it, it was just awesome life lessons uh, that I learned at that time as, as a really, really young man. 
Sounds like you got a great foundation through some amazing men of God on your football team, both the players as well as coaches showing you from the beginning, don't put all your faith in this being the satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment of your life. This is a profession, but it's not going to be the end all be all. Absolutely. That was the lesson I learned. And it really tied into everything my mom told me. Um, and I, I can remember her over and over and over again. Her favorite Bible verse was Matthew 16, 26. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And I ended up playing three years in the National Football League. I coached 28 more. So I was 31 years in the NFL. And I saw that happen over and over again. I saw guys go to the top of the world in terms of earthly uh, blessings, uh, money, fame, prestige, Super Bowl titles, uh, Pro Bowls, anything you could imagine, worldly accolades, and not be happy, not be fulfilled at all because they didn't have that relationship with, with the Lord. And I saw these guys in Pittsburgh who had all the championship rings, but they said, hey, there's, there's more to it. And the reason we're playing well, the reason we're functioning is because of our relationship with Christ. So it was just great lessons for me. And then when I got into the coaching side of it, I tried to pass that on to the young men who played for me. The same thing Coach Knowles said, hey, enjoy football, count it as a blessing, but don't treat it as your whole life or your whole reason for existing. Wow. Yeah. That's such a great point from someone coming from your stature and all the experience you've had in the league, because I think it's so tempting for us to look, especially as men to that achievement, success, getting on top, so to speak, whether it's financially, professionally, athletically, uh, we always put our faith in that. And uh, I think that's an interesting word. The Bible uses the deceitfulness of riches. And I think you could probably expand that beyond just riches to everything we just talked about, fame, success, notoriety, et cetera. And it's such a snare that's so easy to fall into only to realize, as it's been said before, you spend your whole life climbing the ladder just to get to the top and realize you leaned it against the wrong wall. And praise God that you were able to figure that out at a young age, that that was not what you wanted to do or you wanted to be. Yeah, no, it is so tempting. And you feel like that is uh, what you're, going after and you're trying to get there and when you get there you realize boy that it's not all that it's cracked up to be I remember the chapel service before our Super Bowl with the Steelers we're playing the Dallas Cowboys it's about eight hours before the game we had our, our chapel service and the speaker said hey you're going to go out and you're going to play a game this is the pinnacle if you win you're going to be on top of the sports world but he said I'm telling you it's not lasting and it's not the most important thing in life we went out and played the game. We won. We were excited to come back in the locker room. And it was almost immediately the sports writers started asking our players, well, what do you think about next year? Can you repeat? Are you going to win next year? And I, I remember thinking, boy, the chaplain was right. The game is not even over. And people are talking about the future and next year like this game doesn't even matter. And it's just that that's the way it is. The, the chase is as you say, deceitful. It gets you sucked in. I've got to get there. I've got to have this. And then when you get there, well, no, you need more. You need something else. You need to win again next year. And it was just crazy. Yeah, it's really the what have you done for me lately approach in life. And whether it's the NFL or any other profession or even ministry is a, is a really uh, deceitful, you know, 
snare I think the the devil uses and the flesh can get involved with to even people at the top of their game in the ministry world where they're work they're professional you know they're basically professionals for God instead of enjoying that uh, personal intimate life giving relationship and and that's one interesting thing that Jesus said in John seventeen is that eternal life is simply just knowing God having that relationship that intimacy with him that personal experiential knowledge of him and his his goodness and um as we'll talk about a lot of other earthly blessings can and will flow out of that as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he provides all those other things but if we're putting our eyesight on the money the riches the success the titles all that then it's uh it's going to be very vaporous like solomon talked about that vanity which can be translated as smoke because it's just yeah right and I'm sure you've seen throughout, especially the NFL, I've heard is one of the um, prime examples of this because of the short duration of the tenure of most of the players because of how uh, injury prone the, uh, the league is and just because of all the, the demands placed on their bodies that not many guys make it that long. And those, even those that do, a lot of them are broke and destitute and just ruined uh, be- way quicker than they would have thought. And it doesn't, the success doesn't go with them. No. And that was my story, Ryan, 21 years old. I'm excited. I'm, I'm on the Pittsburgh Steelers living my dream. 22 years old. My second year, we win the Super Bowl. I'm an integral part of the team. And the next year I was traded. Um, and <laughs> the, the fourth year I was traded again and released and suddenly out of the NFL finished with football at 25 years old. So I went from 22 years old holding the Super Bowl trophy to 25 uh, and saying I I need a job and what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Wow. That's, and I think if correct me if I'm wrong, that is not uh, an uncommon duration of three to four years or so in the league. About 3.7 is the average, um, career lifespan of a player and I, I hit it just probably was three years and a couple of months and and then as coach Noel said you're really looking for work and I was blessed he ended up calling me back and saying I think you could make football your profession you have a great uh, aptitude for the game you have a great way to communicate if you want to start at the bottom of the totem pole and come on the coaching staff you know I, I, we have a position for you so I was really fortunate I started as uh, one of the youngest assistants in the NFL as a 25 year old. Man, I just, I just can't get over that. You, you come in as a 21 year old, you win the Super Bowl as a 22 year old. And had it not been for this alternative pathway, you would have been chewed up and spit out by the time you're 25. Tell us a little bit about what that was like and, and how you feel like you navigated that. And if your faith played a role in that at all. Well, I, I was very fortunate, as I said, to go to Pittsburgh, to hook up with these Christian guys, guys who uh, I learned so much about and I really grew as a person because then when the disappointments came I was ready to handle them I got traded from the Super Bowl champions to the worst team in football the San Francisco 49ers at that time were on the bottom we only won two games the year that I played for them Uh, well the Steelers won another Super Bowl my buddy so every week we're losing I'm looking at them on TV going to the Super Bowl thinking I should have been there but I was able to handle it because I had grown so much spiritually at that point. I got traded again the next year to the New York Giants, and then I got cut, and I didn't have a job. But I you know, was able to handle it because I didn't have my whole identity wrapped up in, boy, I'm a professional football player, I'm a stealer, I'm, I'm going to win a Super Bowl. And I didn't know it at the time, but God was really preparing me to be a coach. 
Uh, I played my whole life, junior high, high school, college, as a quarterback, offensive player, went to Pittsburgh, and I became a defensive player. I saw Coach Knoll and how he ran a championship team. I got traded to a very poor team, but saw Bill Walsh and how he built the team from the ground up. So I got to see that side of it. I got to see players being traded around, shuffled around, and uh, the whole thing. And then Coach Noel calls me and he says, I, I think your calling is to be a coach. Well, I had had so much training and so much background. And then I got to work eight years for him, uh, for the man I think is the best coach in the history of football. So God was training me. I just didn't know it at the time. That's a really great point too, Coach, because so many times we think that the main thing is this thing we've had our sights set on and we're preparing for and <clears throat> even in, enjoyed some measure of success maybe even overwhelming success like a Super Bowl champion or championship. And we have no idea that behind the scenes, God is working this mosaic that we can't see the full picture of at the time. But like the word says in Romans eight twenty eight, he's working all things into a pattern of good for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's what I kept holding on to in Jeremiah 29. You know, I have plans for you and the plans are good. You have to trust me. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, I just got traded from the best team in football to the worst team. What's good about that plan? <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, you had to trust them. And that's what I ended up learning and doing. So later on, when I was coaching and I got fired and had to move or didn't get the job that I hoped I would get. Uh, just understood. No, God has plans and I just have to be patient and stick with him. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the uh, beginning of your coaching career and that journey that God had you on. Yeah, I was eight years in, in Pittsburgh coaching for Coach Noel and um, just loving life. Met my wife there. Um, we, we have kids. We're growing and, and feeling as a family, this is where we're going to be and we're going to be in Pittsburgh forever. And uh all of a sudden, that train kind of shifted, and Coach Noel made some staff changes, and I ended up going to Kansas City and working for Marty Schottenheimer for three years, learning another way to do things and a different style of offense and defense. And then um, people started talking about, well, maybe this guy's going to be a head coach. He's got a nice pedigree. We're winning games, and maybe he's going to be a head coach, but it still didn't come. I went to Minnesota I worked for Dennis Green for four years and the same thing. We're winning and I would go to these interviews and it just wouldn't happen. They'd call me back. Hey, you came in second. We really liked you, but we decided to go with someone else. And I remember being so disappointed. But again, the Lord was working. The chaplain of the Vikings, who is still one of my best friends, a guy named Tom Lamphere, he just said, hey, God's got plans for you. Be the best defensive coordinator you can be here and let God handle the rest. And he took me through the book of Nehemiah. We went through Nehemiah for two years, every Monday. He said, you are going to be a head coach. You're going to need these leadership lessons. This is the best book on leadership you could ever read. And so we studied Nehemiah for two years uh, before I ended up getting the head coaching job with, with the Buccaneers. And you mentioned uh, earlier, may not have been while we were recording, but that you had a very different coaching style and that people said that that was not going to be conducive to success as a head NFL coach. Talk to us a little bit how God used your own personality and temperament, uh, even though it may have been a, a little bit more of delayed pathway than you would have liked to be true to yourself and, uh, and still come into that success. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, 15 years as an assistant coach and people are saying, boy, this guy is, you know, he's special. He's got a chance to be a head coach. 
and I'm going on these interviews and they're not panning out. A lot of people are saying, well, it's because he's African-American. And at that time, very few African-American coaches. Maybe this thing is based on race. Maybe that's what's holding them back. But many people were telling me it was my personality and the way I did things. Um, I was very outspoken about my faith. People knew that I was a Christian. Uh, I was running counterculture to many of the stereotypes of coaches. I didn't scream. I didn't yell and raise my voice. I didn't try to embarrass players. Uh, I tried to treat them lovingly. I tried to treat them the way I wanted my sons to be coached. Amen. And people would say, well, that's great as an assistant, but that will never fly as a head coach. You're not tough enough. You're not demanding enough. Uh, you don't spend the hours at the office the way people do. Uh, you just don't take this seriously enough. And for, from, from that standpoint, um, it's going to be very tough to get people to, young men anyway, to follow you if you don't relate to them on a kind of a physical, emotional high level. And um, after three or four times where you have an interview and you don't get the job, you start to think and wonder, well, maybe that's the case. Maybe what they're saying is true. But I just had so many Christian men come along beside me. And at that point, I had the role models. I saw Coach Noel do it uh, in a in a wonderful way. I saw Joe Gibbs win Super Bowls with the Washington Redskins, very strong Christian, Tom Landry. And so I, I just said, I don't care what people say. I'm going to stick with my beliefs. I'm going to, I have to be a Christian first before I'm anything else. And so I'm going to just let the Lord handle it. And uh, it took 15 years to finally take that last step. Uh, but I, I got the job with the Buccaneers and the ownership was very aware of how I was going to do things. And uh, I wasn't going to change my style for anyone. Praise God. What a, what a great testimony of not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being yeah. transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Amen. About. And, uh, and yet, you know, another verse that occurred to me earlier is even from the very beginning, you're, you were raised with a really strong foundation of Christian parents. And it says in the word that raise up a child in the way which he should go and he will not depart from it. And you're a, a great example of that through thick and thin, through disappointment after disappointment and long years of hope deferred, probably making your heart sick at some point along the way, um, still choosing to trust God in the way that you were designed and, and to really think of these not just as players or uh, expendable commodities, but as sons and yeah. people that are you're pouring your life into yeah no absolutely and I, I saw that from my mom and dad uh the way they raised us the way they treated people they were both teachers and i saw how they related to their students and the whole thing was we want our students to get a's and we want to help them and that's what we're here for and so i ended up as i coached i felt like that was my job description i'm here to help my players be as good as they can be and that's my job description. That's what I want to do. And that's the way I approached it. Well, I think that you, and we'll talk about this in a bit here, but you saw that uh, it was much more than just the temporal success of getting um, to the head coaching position and then going on to win a Super Bowl from there. But uh, you are still, you left a legacy in these people and you still have weekly uh, phone calls and discipleship and Bible studies with James Brown and some other people that you're truly pouring into these people's lives and making an eternal impact in addition to the very considerable success and achievement in this temporal world that you've experienced. Yeah, I remember my first meeting as a head coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I, I remember telling the, the group that we had, our players, 
hey, I came here. We haven't had success on the field. I was hired to coach you to a Super Bowl, and that's our goal. But if that's all we do, it's going to be very short lived. People won't remember it. We've got to win, but I want you guys to be great role models. I had three boys at the time. I told them, hey, these boys look up to you. They follow you. They do everything that you do. You've got to be great role models. We've got to get involved in the community. We've got to leave a mark, not just on the football field, but we've got to leave a mark in the Tampa Bay area. And I had a lot of young men that really, really took that in and took that to heart. But there are a couple of special ones. Uh, Warwick Dunn was a, a, a player for us who grew up in a single parent home. His mother was killed. She was a police officer. She was killed in a robbery. And he came to me after hearing that talk. and He said, I really want to do something special for single moms. So he started a program where they would go out, look for a house, pay the down payment on it, give the keys to the mom and say, okay, we've got you started and now you take it from here. And he's done that over and over uh, 150 homes. He's, he's done for single moms. One of the kids who grew up in one of those homes was Deshaun Watson. Deshaun was nine years old when his mom moved into one of Warwick's houses. Deshaun last year was a rookie with the Houston Texans. He's going to be a great quarterback, but because of, how he was touched by that when the uh, workers at the Texans complex, some of them were displaced by the hurricane, Hurricane Irma. Deshaun Watson gave his first game check to those cafeteria workers. <laughs> and he said, you know, Warwick Dunn did something for me. I understand the responsibility as a professional athlete. I want to give that back. So it just made my heart just sing to know that what Coach Noel told me 40 years ago, I passed on to Warwick Dunn. Warwick Dunn passed on to uh, Deshaun Watson, and it's still going. Yeah, that, that really truly is a picture of discipleship. And, you know, Jesus sowed his life as well as his death and resurrection into us, and we're still reaping that harvest 2,000 years later. And you're, you're going beyond just teaching, training, or coaching as significant as that can be, but this is truly a picture of discipleship and that incorruptible seed bringing that harvest that's everlasting. And those are the things that are going to be lasting. And those are the things that I, I take joy out of. And I'm very proud of what we did in Tampa, turning the Buccaneers around. We'd had 13 straight losing seasons before I got here and we went to the playoffs four times and that's great. And we went to Indianapolis uh, after I got fired in Tampa and we went to Indianapolis and we won the Super Bowl and we set some records. And that's great, too. But to see what the young men are doing and how they are in the community years later and the impact and to have people come up to me and say, well, hey, Mike Allstott is my son's uh, high school coach now. and The lessons he's teaching them are phenomenal. Um, Peyton Manning. Um, has done so much with his foundation in Indianapolis and what he's done and helping get a, a children's hospital wing started. And, and those are the things people remember uh, long after they remember the wins and losses on the field. Yeah. Wow. How, what a, what a great perspective to keep, especially after seeing right off the bat, winning the whole, the, the height of glory in the NFL and the very next year going, you know, somewhere else and being basically forgotten by then. But these are the kind of things you're not only changing individual lives, you're transforming communities through your impact and your influence. And, and what a great legacy to leave behind in addition to the rings and the trophies and all that stuff. And yeah. um, I just, uh, I keep coming back to the fact that you did not, 
turn to the left nor to the right, but kept your face like Flint down the, the way that the plumb line of truth and character that God had developed in you? No, that was so important to me. And uh, I was able to pass that on to our players. And I, I think to a man, when I talk to our, our players who have played for me in the past, that's what they appreciate, kind of the steadfastness. And yeah, they wanted to win and they want to be involved in winning programs. But um, I think some of the life lessons we got and the, the things that they learned about life and, as you say, staying straightforward, not turning to the left or the right, but following the Lord and realizing, you know what, we can do this even in the National Football League. Uh, we can do this. We can live this way and still be successful. And that brings me to the next phase of your life that I want to go into, and which is actually the impetus for this interview in the first place, because as impressive as all that is, what I really like to focus on in these interviews is the counterintuitive kingdom of God's way of doing business. And you shared something back in March at Karis Bible College here in Woodland Park, Colorado, about an incredible opportunity and success you've had through you're actually a very well-published author at this point. And we'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of that, but tell us about your transition out of the NFL into publishing and writing. Yes. Um, when I worked with the Buccaneers, I worked with a gentleman named Nathan Whitaker. He was actually our salary cap specialist, uh, kind of a numbers guy, but he was always interested in writing. And he said, you know what, the way you do things here, it's so counter to society. It's so counter to the NFL. We could write a book about this and I think it would help a lot of people. And that, for years I said, Nathan, no, I don't want to write a book. Um, it just is not something that would interest me. And he, every year he would ask me. Then I got fired with the Buccaneers and moved to Indianapolis. And he still asked me about it. Well, finally in 2006, we won the Super Bowl. And Nathan called me and said, this is the time to write a book. Uh, you're on top of the world from a worldly standpoint. You've got a platform. God's given it to you. Take advantage of it and tell people how you did it and why you did it. Not just the fact that you won, but how you won using the Lord's principles. And I said, well, Nathan, I, I still don't think I want to do it. He said, there's all kinds of books out there promoting worldly success. You can promote godly success. And I said, well, if we're going to look at it that way, that makes sense. So he and I kind of started on this path. What do we want to say? We, we kind of developed the bones of a book and we went out and we started talking to publishers. Could this sell? And of course, everybody was interested because they wanted the Super Bowl story and to feed off of that, that Super Bowl momentum. So we talked to a bunch of publishing companies and all of them had kind of worldly goals. And the advice we got probably made sense from a, a book selling standpoint. But Ryan, some of the things they told us, well, here's what you should do. You should really take a, a year to develop this and uh, you've got to do this in New York. You've got to get a big time writer to help you out. And I said, well, no, you know, this is Nathan's idea. He's going to write the book. Well, he's never written before. That's not a smart thing to do. Um, and then I said, hey, I've really got this short time frame. I have to go back to work. Uh, I'm still coaching. I have to go back to the work for the Colts. I owe them this. I, I've given them my word. I'm going to be there next year, full go. So I can't be in September thinking about a book. I've got to do this in a quick frame. We've got the book all set up. Maybe it'll take four or five more weeks to, oh, there's no way you could do that. We've got to go through this long editing process. If you go to New York and you do this and you come with us, uh, maybe 
with all this momentum, you could sell 75,000 books. It'll be a, a real winner. And we just said, no, that, that's not the, what we have in mind. So we ended up going with a very small Christian publishing company in Wheaton, Illinois, Tyndale Publishers. And Nathan ended up writing the book with no experience. They utilized pretty much the, the outline that we had. And we did it uh, in about six weeks and three weeks of publicity tour. And we did it in the summer when I was off. And everybody said it'll never work. There's no way you're doing everything wrong. You need to go with a, a well-known publishing company. You need to get some marketing tools behind you. You need to do it this way and, for, and, and fire that writer, first of all. You need to get somebody who is well-known and, and established. So we did everything opposite of what the world said. Amen. And, uh, the book was the first sports book to go to number one in New York Times list. Uh, it just did incredible. And, and as of this point, it sold about 1.5 million copies. Praise God. What's the name of the book, Coach? It's called Quiet Strength. It came out uh, 11 years ago now, in 2007. It's been in about six or seven printings. People, uh, I still get letters from people who are giving it to their sons or their nephews and saying, hey, you want to uh, read about football, you know, read this book. It'll give you some things about football, but it'll give you a lot of things about life as well. Amen. I love that, Coach, because uh, there's so much in there about not conforming to the pattern of this world like we already talked about. But there are so many verses I could go into. Uh, many of them are written by the Apostle Paul, who was very educated and on the fast track in his professional career, so to speak, as a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees, extremely uh, well-educated, knew the law, well-respected in his community. And for all that, he counts all of that as dung, he says, because of the revelation of Jesus Christ he got that completely brought him 180 degrees a different direction. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20, he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And as you talked about, you had so many, quote unquote, wise people in this world <laughs> telling you the best way to do this, you know, go to New York, use a well-known publisher, uh, definitely don't use an unqualified author who has no experience. And immediately I think of the 12 disciples, fishermen and uneducated yeah. people who people later marveled at. And you just did everything completely uh, five to six weeks instead of a whole year to take off to honor your commitment and your word that you'd given. And, you know, they say you're lucky to sell 75,000 copies. And here you are 1.5 million later, first, first author uh, of a sports book on number one, New York Times bestselling list. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's just when you, when you follow God's way and his spirit, you just, uh, you, you get the overwhelming success and it's in a, in a way that makes no sense to the, the human logical mind, but as it all comes back to giving him glory and honor and, and what an amazing testimony of being able to live that out and show the world a different way, God's better way. And Oh, by the way, you still got overwhelming success in the natural out of it. What, what a powerful testimony that is. No, it really was. And, and you mentioned the apostle Paul and one of the kind of, things we highlight in the book um, was probably the one of the first scriptures that the chaplain of the Steelers gave to me when I came to Pittsburgh and I'm kind of a nominal Christian 
and learning about it. And he took us to first Corinthians chapter nine, where Paul says uh, in a race, everybody runs, but only one person gets first prize. So run to win. And that was, I remember hearing that. And that was the first time I'd actually heard that because most people tell you, Oh, God doesn't care who wins. And as Christians, it's all about giving your best. And here was Paul saying, no, give that effort. God wants you to be excellent. So run to win. But then he goes on in the next verse and says, but don't just run for those temporary prizes. That, that gold medal, that gold wreath, that's going to fall apart. It's going to blow away. Make sure you're running to win for the eternal prize, the important things. And when I you know, really understood that, and that's what we tried to get across in the book, that yes, hey, we were going all out and we were trying to honor God by doing everything we could to be successful on the football field. But we had so many more things in mind. And it was the same thing with the book. Yeah, we wanted it to be successful, but we wanted to honor the Lord first. And I think that's why God took it and just um, gave it that success. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that's such a, I think, a relevant verse that Paul shares from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And you definitely demonstrated that, that this was, there was no faith in your own human wisdom in this because it was totally opposite to what all the quote unquote experts had to say about it. But because you were doing it in faith, being led by the Lord in a certain way, he gave you that ability to show people that our faith is not in that wisdom of men in that carnal knowledge and understanding, but in God's power. And then Paul later goes on to talk about uh, what that power is. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And I think it's, uh, it's so compelling when you can show, um, like I talk about all the time, that intersection of heaven and earth, the supernatural and the practical, where these things aren't just you know, pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. These are very real practical outflows as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I love, Coach, you said something that really ministered to me back in March at the conference I mentioned earlier, and you just said it again, that uh, sometimes in the church we can get um, almost emasculated or watered down about, oh, it's just every, you know, just be a nice guy. And they paint Jesus to be, you know, this really nice guy. And, and he was, he was very kind and meek and gentle. And, and, but he could also be very fierce. And there's a, a sense of excellence and um, intensity that Paul certainly demonstrated. And like you said, we don't have to compromise our desire to win, our desire to be excellent, our desire to have that fierce competitive edge, while at the same time, being able to be men of God, it's not either or, it's both and in the kingdom. And I think that's such a powerful demonstration of that. No, it really is. And that is what I picked up on when I went to the Steelers. I saw these guys who I had watched on TV and I'm just saying, boy, they're the best in the world at what they do. And to a man, it was, hey, we are going to be excellent. And our, our practices were unbelievable because the level of intensity was, hey, I've got to play my best every time I go out there because that's what the Lord expects. And to see that type of excellence from these guys who honored God in everything, it, it was, it was life-changing for me. And I was able to bring that to the table. And, and that was my, my goal in coaching. I wanted to show people that you could follow the Lord. You could be very much Christian in the, your values and the way you did things and still do your job as well as anybody else on the earth. 
And again, I keep coming back to the apostle Paul because his life is also a demonstration of that where he was unabashedly uh, an ambassador for the, the undiluted, uncompromised grace of God that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by any effort or righteousness of our own, but because of the abundance of grace that he had a revelation of and that poured through him, it gave him that supernatural divine empowerment to be able to exceed them all, as he says, that he was probably the most significant missionary, preacher, apostle that ever lived, but it wasn't because of his own efforts and wisdom. We saw where that got him. It was a hundred yeah. out from what God had and ended up per- persecuting the church of Christ beyond measure. But when he got a hold of the gospel of grace and that, that knowledge that it, the, fin- the work was already finished through Jesus, but as he reflected on that, he was able to be able to, to live that out in his own heart first, but then export that to the world. We saw that it gave him that incredible ability to do superhuman feats that most people probably couldn't even, um, you know, believe or, you know, what he was able to endure. And I'm sure that those practices with the Steelers might've been a little taste of that and uh, whatever you had to go through in your coaching and the discipline and the tenacity to, to stay in it, to win and have that drive. But when we actually get a hold of God's grace and that counterintuitive wisdom from above, it allows us to, go to superhuman links that people can't uh, understand. And if they didn't know the story behind it, it'd be easy to see that or to think that it was because of just incredible discipline and willpower. But we know that it's that wellspring of life from within that gives us that supernatural enablement and empowerment to actually just live from the overflow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So coach, that was your first book and that was Quiet Strength that you mentioned, but you've got a number of other book projects going on. Tell us a little bit about these other book projects. Yeah, after Quiet Strength took off, um, I would get letters from a lot of teachers especially and saying, you know, I really struggled with getting boys to read, but I gave this to uh, a 13-year-old boy and he read it from cover to cover. And I started thinking, man, if boys are reading, then we ought to write something specifically for them. So that brought up the next book, Uncommon, which was really kind of a life lessons and being different and kind of just what we're talking about, using godly wisdom, not being afraid to be different, being excellent, uh, but still living for the Lord. So that was the second book that came out. And then uh, that did fairly well as, as well. And then uh, the publishers asked for another book on leadership and Christian leadership specifically. Uh, by this time, I was getting asked to speak a lot at, for businesses and, and that type of thing. How do you put a winning team together? What's the secret to success? And so we um, had a third book called The Mentor Leader, and that talked about just really Jesus' principles of leading and uh, serving to, to be the leader. Then uh, they asked about doing a marriage book with my wife, Lauren. And we did one called Uncommon Marriage. The next uh, series came out uh, of kids' books where uh, my wife really had this heart to read to inner city schools, but she didn't want to just read funny stories. She wanted to be able to read a story that had a message and then be able to discuss it with the kids. So we did uh, about eight or 10 kids' books. Uh, We're on a second series now uh, that's basically called Team Dungey. And Lauren and I coached different teams, soccer teams, flag football teams, and we kind of help the kids through their issues. Uh, so that's been really rewarding. And then uh, this uh, January, there's going to be a new book on team building and teamwork that's uh, in the works that's coming out with Tyndale. It'll actually be now my fifth adult book. Um, 
that is going to be called the soul of a team. And it's how you put together a winning team. Well, so you've got, that'll be your fifth adult book. And now you've got over 10 children's books already published. Yes. Wow. I had no idea it was that many. So how many total books have you published now? So we're probably at um, 15 or 16 right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, It's crazy to think my mom was an English teacher, but I I remember telling Nathan for years, no, 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 I'm not going to write a book. It's just not me. Uh, But to to know that that's how the Lord has, has used it and to be able to, uh, generate some ideas and get some young men, especially, kind of to to gear into this. And it's really gratifying now. Oh, the other but I forgot about the book that maybe I'm most proud of. It's a devotional. It's oh. a daily devotional called the Uncommon Daily Life Challenge. 365. We had to kind of put them together, a lesson every day. And so many chaplains have gotten that for their players, uh, parents and grandparents buying it for their kids, but a lot of coaches have given it out to their players and just so they can have something that'll take them to the Bible for three or four minutes a day uh, to start their day. And uh, when I go to a stadium now and one of the NFL players will say, well, I'm reading your devotional and it's been great. Uh, that's one of the, the most tremendous feelings that, that I'm able to, to get. Wow. So, uh, this devotional is a day by day, uh, like for every day of the year, you've got this and starts the day off. Right. And I think that's really important coach that you're, that you're allowing other players to partake in the source of your success. Like you had, because it says in Jeremiah ten twenty three, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And having the word of God and those devotionals and those thoughts from someone like yourself that people can take seriously because you've got the credibility and the authority in what you're talking about and from your life and your integrity, I think that's really good because it's also, um, you shared something actually back in that conference in March again, a really interesting teaching on Proverbs 3 actually. And you go into a lot how it kind of basically has every other verse, one verse will have, if you do this, then the next verse will tell you the fruit to come. But both your, your, your playing career, your coaching career, as well as your publishing career now, I really saw <clears throat> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 coming out of that, yes. which in the Amplified says, trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, know and acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your path straight and smooth removing obstacles that block your way. And that, that is so true. And it's hard to do. It's put my trust in the Lord. But when what God is telling you goes counter to what everybody else in, in the world is saying, yeah. then it's hard to say, I'm still going to go with you, Lord, because I know you're right. And that's what we have to force ourselves to do. But uh, it's not always easy. Yeah. And what a powerful example of the fruit that comes from that when you do things like that, when you go with, uh, by the way, tell us a little bit, there's something I I forgot to mention as far as uh, quiet strength, that not only we talked about how you had a way condensed timeline, you went with an unknown publisher, uh, an inexperienced author, and all these different things. But then there was also a certain strategy for marketing that they suggested that you actually did not go that route and went a different route 
because exactly of that, you are not relying on your own or the supposed human experts' opinions, but went a different direction with that. And as a result, you were able to reach a wider audience. Tell us a little bit about that whole strategy. Yeah, we uh, definitely wanted the book to be an outreach. We didn't want it to be just in Christian bookstores. Uh, and But by the same token, we didn't want to compromise the message. We wanted to write the book and market it as, hey, this is my story and what's important to me. So we were getting a lot of uh, feedback. Hey, you either got to make this a Christian book and just go all the way and just put it in Christian bookstores and, and we'll market it as a religious book. Or you've got to leave that, you know, that religious side out of it. And we said, no, we just want to let the book speak for itself. We want to sell it to everyone and we will market it as a sports book that um, talks about faith. And everyone said that was the wrong way to go. Uh, and I can remember the uh, Barnes and Noble national buyer saying, okay, this is a, this is a sports book. I'm going to order just a few copies. We'll see how things go. They ran out the first weekend and couldn't get any. And all the other bookstores were, were selling them. And she called back and she said, this book is so hot. We didn't, we don't even know where to put it. We don't know whether we should put it in sports in biography and African-American literature in religion. We don't know where to put this book. And that just spoke volumes about the Lord again saying, Hey, I know way more than these so-called experts know. And I feel like that's a microcosm of the Lord himself. You know, Jesus was so many different things to so many different people. And it, people want to call him, you know, uh, a rabbi, a scholar, a teacher, uh, a good man, these different things. And it, it was, he almost defies, uh, categorization or uh and certainly understanding in a lot of ways and it's hard to pin down like who is this guy what is yeah. you know it, it just defies comprehension and and it just kind of uh <laughs> blows our, our our grid of a human understanding of how to even make sense of this and uh you know the lord talks about that is in isaiah 55 8 through 9 he says for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I believe this example of your book and people can't figure out, like, I don't even know how to make sense of it. How do we categorize this? How did this even sell anything remotely close to what it did? Um, and yeah, I think this is important to be able to rightly divide the word because if we just stayed in an old covenant, old wineskin mentality, a lot of people can conclude that, oh, well, you know, Isaiah 55 says we can't know the Lord. His thoughts are not uh, able to be comprehended by us. We're, you know, finite human beings, which is true and certainly was true for, for a long time. But praise God, as, as you saw, as the Holy Spirit showed you, <clears throat> that we have access to that, to that knowledge and that mind of Christ. And, and, and again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? And he's referring back to Isaiah. But we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. And certainly God showed you, even though you probably didn't know what you were doing, you didn't, you certainly weren't following the advice of the, all the experts, but you know, you knew who was leading you and you knew what the Lord was doing. And you were able to follow that and have access to that higher plane of consciousness through the Holy spirit who guides you into all truth. And that has happened so much in my life, Ryan. And I think you make a great point. We may not know and be able to even comprehend what God knows, but we can hear his voice. And then it becomes a choice. Um, 
we hear this voice that's telling us something, it doesn't make sense. We know it's from God. Do we do it or do we not do it? Uh, I can go all the way back to my decision to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was a quarterback in college. I had, no one thought I would be a quarterback in the NFL. I had a chance to go to Canada and play quarterback and get a guaranteed contract, or I could go to the Steelers and try to switch positions and learn a new position and make the team. Nothing about that decision made sense. Everybody told me it was nutty. What are you doing? And I, to this day, I still can't explain it other than a feeling I had in my heart. I just said, I want to play with the best, even if it means switching positions. I went into coaching and everyone was saying at that time, you know, there's no African-American coaches. It's not a successful career path. What are you doing? It doesn't make sense. Uh, when I got offered the job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they had had all these losing seasons, seven or eight coaches in a row who had all gotten fired. Why would you go there? It's not going to work. Uh, it's a losing culture, losing mentality. Nothing about it made sense. But you, you get these just visions and, and voices from the Lord saying, hey, don't worry, I, I've got this. This is what you should do. And you can't even explain it to people, but you, you can respond. Yeah, that's a great point, too, because Jesus tells us himself in John 10, 4, he says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So he's yeah. shown us that we have the uh, ability to not only hear his voice, but to know that it's him and the voice of another we will not follow. And I know personally, sometimes I've had to spend more time reflecting on whether it was really God or not when he right. told something that made no sense. Almost wanted to, you know, sit, tell him, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. But you have that inner witness of the spirit and that peace, which transcends understanding literally uh, that that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I, I talked to a lot of people on the podcast about this coach, but just explain to us your process of hearing and knowing that it was God, how you knew that inward witness and that you had that peace and that assurance that what you were hearing was indeed from God. For me, it really was uh, praying about it, listening, taking my time, and then seeking godly counsel. And I have done that more often uh, as I've grown older, talking to my pastor, talking to my uh, Christian coaching friends, my Christian playing friends. And, hey, what do you think about this? And getting counsel from people who I know are looking at things spiritually. But really, more than anything, praying about it. Uh, and now with my wife, do we have peace of mind about this decision? And you, you get to the point where you understand this really is the Lord speaking. We have total confidence that this is God. Even though it doesn't make sense, I've got to follow it. And there's another verse that talks about, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that word rule is actually more like a word umpire, as in calling the shots, like an umpire at a baseball game. He rules by saying ball or strike, and he's able to make that determination. So you're literally letting the peace in your heart call the shots in your life when you're making those decisions. Yes. And you find out you do have that peace and you, you go and you just totally believe the Lord is in front of you. And um, it, it's pretty awesome when that takes place. Well, your life is certainly an example of that. And I'm excited for what you've got ahead. And one of the things I like to do in closing is talk about something that you 
haven't seen yet manifest, but you want to make a, a declaration on the record, so to speak right here and just speak something out and believe so that we can show, you know, I think there's something powerful about memorials and going back and, and making, writing something down, uh, recording it in some kind of way. And the Israelites have this throughout their whole history. And now we've got more modern ways of doing that. But what's something right now, coach, that you want to speak out and declare right now in faith, calling forth those things that be not as though they are so that we can go back and have a testimony and a memorial to to look at that? I think right now we've got a divisiveness in our country that that is probably like it hasn't been in years. And I know that's got people worried and concerned. I think the Lord is going to use Christians to bring our country back together and uh, he's preparing to do something that we can't even fathom right now. I, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see the United States come back together under some Christian leadership. Wow, that's powerful, Coach. And I, I don't think anybody would disagree with you about how heated the rhetoric is and how divisive uh, the, the discourse in the public forum is right now and how badly we need that healing and that reconciliation. And I really, I will absolutely stand in agreement with you on that coach. I was just reading something, in fact, this morning that my dad sent me an article about how to listen well and bridge that gap and be that peacemaker mm -hmm. and, and, and have a, a civil discourse, which we have totally lost the art of in our culture at this point. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and I know JB was talking about it when he was here for the Truth and Liberty uh, show here at Andrew Womack Ministries. And um, I just really, I love that. That's such a, a, a hopeful thought and expectation to have. And I've heard it said that the person who has the most hope has the most influence and who should have more hope believers in Jesus, you know, the hope that is in us. Yeah. So that is, that is outstanding. I will hundred percent agree with you on that. I can't wait to look back on this and say, here it was, you heard it here first from coach Dungeon. Praise God. Well, coach, I just, as I've said to you numerous times, I can't thank you enough for your personal example and witness in your personal life, your professional life. You truly are a man who walks the talk and demonstrates God's kingdom and his, the character of Jesus everywhere you go. And I'm so glad that you've been able to enjoy the spoils of success in the natural world, but even more that you've been able to keep an eternal perspective through all of it, buck the conventional wisdom, uncommon character and decision-making in the face of all the pressure and the seemingly insane ideas the Holy Spirit sometimes gives you. And, and what a delight to be able to share that and, and talk about that with you. And I mean, once again, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming on the show here. And uh, we are just so expectant for what the Lord has for you in the future. And we are definitely going to be standing in agreement for everything that you've declared and that the good things that we know that God has to come. Amen. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's been a joy to be on with you and I look forward to seeing you again. Uh, this winter. Absolutely. We'll look forward to it, Coach. All right. Thanks, Ryan. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Better Way Podcast with Ryan Haley. For more information and to discover more episodes, visit abetterwaypodcast.com or search us on iTunes, TuneIn, or any of your favorite online audio sites. If you like what you hear, Leave us a review on iTunes or send us an email at ryan at a betterwaypodcast.com. Have a suggestion for who we could interview next? Let us know on our website. Finally, A Better Way is listener-sponsored. Help us to further the message of kingdom entrepreneurship by supporting us financially. You can give online on our website, abetterwaypodcast.com. Again, thanks for listening. 
and we'll see you on the next episode.